Secrets to Real Estate Investing, episode 135. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have with us today a, another very talented female, which I get so excited <laughs> when women flippers are out there making an impact in the world because there's so few of us. So um, with that, welcome to the show, Amber Miller. Hi, thanks for having me, Holly. Oh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to share some wisdom and knowledge with our audience. I really appreciate it. So of course, yeah. why don't you give our audience um, some background on you and what sure. you've done? Yeah. Um, so my name is Amber Miller and I am located in the Midwest, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I have been flipping houses since about 2007. Um, so great timing. And I, at this point, I've done about 150, I'm over 150, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's over 150. Um, I need to update my spreadsheet. But um, I started out uh, doing it part-time and just kind of seeing if it was something that I liked and it turned out to be a really good fit for me. So um, after a few years, I decided to go full-time. I retired my husband actually the year before I left my full-time job so that he could take over the project management side and I got my real estate license and I do all of the finding of properties and the design and the renovation overseeing and the listing of them. So kind of a one person show on that side, um, but I have help with my crews, so I couldn't do it without him. Awesome. I love it. What did you do before real estate? What was your job before? So I did what everybody says you're supposed to do. I went to college. I got a job in financial services. I was working for a company that um, was selling retirement products for people. So great opportunity to find out about money and getting used to how people were planning for their futures. And um, I was there for almost uh, 12 years before I left. So, um, and about half to halfway through my career there, I realized that there was always going to be this ceiling, right? There was always going to be this time where you either get promoted or someone else gets the job. And then you are kind of left waiting until the next year when there's a review period. And they tell you if you are going to get a one to 3% raise, depending on how the company did. <laughs> I just decided, yeah, right. Really? You can make a lot of impact with that. Yeah. Um, that just, it didn't really sit well with me at that point. And, um, it just, it wasn't a good option for me. And so I started looking elsewhere for ways that I could impact my financial future and decide what, how hard I wanted to work and what I wanted to see as a reward for that effort. So. Awesome. And what did yeah. you do to get educated about real estate investing? So this is really funny because when I first started like trying to research, it was probably late nineties. Um, and so it was like Carlton Sheets, the guy on TV who sold like the tax-free um, way to buy or buying properties at tax sales. Um, 
there wasn't a lot on the internet about it. So primarily it was books. It was going to the bookstore and digging up things. Um, I actually, I laugh because I've got my bookshelf in here and I refuse to get rid of any of my early real estate books. But um, a lot of them talked about like sandwich lease options and just really kind of obscure and strange ways to um, get into real estate investing. But at the same time, there was kind of starting to be this push on TV where you would see people renovating houses for money. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was always really interesting. And I thought that seemed like a good, um, a good path, but I would look at my husband and I'd be like, okay, like what business are we going to start? And he'd be like, I don't know. He's like, figure <laughs> it out. I was yeah. like, even back then I knew, like, I was like, I just, I had this entrepreneurial spirit that I just couldn't get rid of. And I was like, I need to start a business. I just didn't know what it was. And it took a long time to find out what it was but it was worth it. And what did your husband do for work? So my husband was in the military first. um, And so that didn't leave us a lot of options for, for buying properties because we weren't in a position where we were even living in a house ourselves and housing stock in a military town is very, very different than in a regular market. Mm. Um, So when he got out of the military, he was going to, he actually took a job as an apprentice at a cabinet shop. So oh, custom cabinets. Yep. Um, while I finished up my degree. So, and then he kind of stayed in that realm, um, where, you know, he had some exposure to construction, but not a ton. So, um, he's now gotten his general contractor's license, but I actually got mine first. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love so, it. Um, I got mine in 2010, um, just a couple years into flipping and he got his, um, when he went full-time, which would have been 2013. So yeah, wow. that's where he got his start, um, as far as just being familiar with construction. But I think there's something definitely, um, connected with just the level of detail that you have when you custom build cabinetry. And then when you're also on the construction side, so he brings that to the table, which is great. So little side question, at least I think it's a side question. Do you do custom cabinets in all your flips or do you guys buy off the shelf stuff? We do ready to assemble. Okay. Because our timeline isn't such that we can actually wait for custom and he doesn't build them any, he doesn't build them or have the access to all the equipment anymore. Right. Right. I was just wondering, well, we're looking at doing, I think we're doing custom in one of our high-end flips, but when it's going for 1.7 million, I feel like we got to have custom cabinets up to a million. We do the ready to assemble, but here in Southern California, we have to do custom at that high end. No, I totally understand. And I will say too, with even the ready to assemble because of his skill set, we do some things with modifications and custom end panels and custom trim that we wouldn't be able to do if he didn't have that background. So right. it buys yeah. us a little bit more flexibility. Definitely. Yeah, make them look a little more custom than they really are. Yeah. Cool. Well, why don't you tell us about your very first deal, your first adventure? Yep. So my first deal was one that I actually had somebody who had purchased a $25,000 Russ Whitney training program. Um, They had come to me and said, Hey, I spent $25,000 on this program and I think you'd be great at learning how to flip. And they said, why don't you pay me half and we'll watch the videos together or do the calls together. And I was like, no, I'm good. (laughs) and they kept coming back and saying like, Hey, you know, I really think you should do this. And so finally after like three, four months, they came back and they said, look, 
let's just do one flip together. We'll watch the videos. We'll do a flip. And if you like it, great. If not, we never have to talk about it again. I'm like, okay, well, it didn't seem like a much of a risk for me at that point. Um, so we decided to do that. And, um, I will say the video or the, the video training that we did through that, it was like a four week process and there was calls every week at night. Um, it wasn't revolutionary. Like there was nothing in that content that wasn't already readily available or even known to me at that time. Right. Um, I just was, I, I, I kind of was curious at that point. I wanted to see what they were charging. I mean, this is back in 2007. They're charging $25,000 for. I'm like, maybe there's something that I'm missing. Like maybe right. some kind of magic egg that I don't know about. Um, so we did the first, so after we decided to do the first house, it took about, I'd say eight, 10 months to find the property. Um, just because houses were really inexpensive here at that time because the market was changing but there was still a lot of competition because anytime that there's money to be made, there's more than one person who's usually interested. Right. So when we bought that first property, um, we kind of, we went in and we, it was a foreclosure and it had been, um, in good condition. It was just really dated. So there was a lot of things we were able to salvage. Um, we did a lot of things like clean cabinets that were just really greasy. Like we cleaned those and, and you know, got that we kept them, we put new countertops in. So it was a really bare bones flip. Um, it was a lot of paint and carpet. We did hire a general contractor, um, using Craigslist. Um, cause that's how we, the only way we knew to find somebody at that point. Um, and within two or three weeks of listing it, it was, a a quick rehab. It was about a 30,000 or $35,000 budget. We had an offer on it and we sold it and we made, um, we made about $28,000. So wow. credit card that had paid for the $25,000 training. So nice. That's, yeah. that's a great way to do it. Yeah. Some of the trainings sound <laughs> expensive and I know I've heard of them being as high now as $75,000, yes. but 25 grand, that sounds like a bargain now compared to some of the stuff out there. And Heck, I mean, if you can make it all back in your first deal, it might not be too bad, but I don't know if, if there was anything in your training that you felt like made a difference for you or not. Do you think there was? I don't think that there was. And I think with any training that you invest in, it's only as good as the action that you take. Yeah. So sure. you can spend all the money in the world on training. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful flipping, especially if you never get started. And that goes with kind of anything. Um, I, I will say too, though, there's things that there's no training can prepare you for either. Right. You know, when you have to fire somebody or when something unexpected happens with a budget, the best training in the world can't compensate you for having to figure out how to get through that. So yes. that again, that's the only, that's the, that's the beauty of experience is when you've done enough, you've done enough, you, you've had enough things go wrong that you don't okay. get flustered anymore. So, right. and I think once I realized that, and this, it's not, this is not meant to sound flip or trite that money can literally fix nearly any problem you have. Yep. You realize that. And if money can fix it, then it's not really a problem. That's kind of a game changer. That was a mentality game changer for me because right. it, it takes the, it takes the emotion out of it. Otherwise you can get so fired up you know, like if you have a, an inspection come through for a buyer and they start asking for a bunch of things, it can feel very personal, but it's, it's not, <laughs> it's just yeah. how this process works. Oh yeah. So, 
you know, sometimes you may not do well on a deal, but then you have to remember it's just money. I'll make it up on the next one or a couple or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. And it it kind of averages all out in the end, you know, that's, that's really what it, how it works. So, um, but yeah, I think I was funny. I was talking to somebody this morning about, you know, Oh, they're, they're like, I won't do a deal if I can't make 40 or $50,000 on it, but they haven't done a deal yet. <laughs> I love and it. <laughs> so, while I understand and I respect that parameter that they've set at the end of the day, the whole process is about learning. And so my mentality, which I think helped a lot as I was you know, getting started is I, I knew it wasn't get rich quick. I knew I wasn't going to quit my job the minute I bought my first house, right? And I also knew that as long as I made something, and for me back then it was even, you know, if it was five or $10,000, I was happy because I learned something because I never could have gotten to the point that I am where I started, you know, doing this full time. I never could have gotten to that point if I'd never started. Yeah, that's true. How did you finance that first deal? Oh, this is good. <laughs> um, so we had um, a couple of rental properties and then we had our own house and the rental properties we owned were just because of timing and we didn't intend to have them. We had just bought houses and moved and weren't able to sell them because of the market. So we were maxed out as far as mortgages went. Um, so the person who suggested we do that first deal together, they actually took a real mortgage, like a traditional conventional mortgage out. Um, and that's how we financed the deal because no bank that we went to was going to lend us money. We tried, we did a business plan and met with a couple lenders. Um, and there wasn't any hard money lenders at this time. That's a whole, that's been a game changer. But, um, so my portion of the down payment I used a cash advance check from a credit card. Wow. Okay. That's resourceful. (laughs) Because we had, we just didn't have any options. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, it was one of those things where I was like, all right, we're going to try it. And I, I, so I said to my husband, I was like, I'm going to try this. I'm pretty sure we'll be okay. The numbers looked good. They were pretty low. I think the house was maybe under 70,000 that we bought, maybe 68,000. And then we had a $35,000 budget. So it wasn't a crazy expensive project. And there was two of us in on it. So I, you know, I said that my worst case scenario is I'm, you know, we're going to have an extra $10,000 in debt. And he was like, go for it. Yeah. That's a a good calculated risk. And it worked out really (laughs) well that you made all that profit with so little. And that's a really good return on investment. When you look at what cash you outlaid versus um, how much money you made back. That's really good. Right. Right. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. Awesome. Well, how about if you tell us about um, your best deal ever? So the best deal I've had so far, um, dollar wise, I would say is after I changed kind of the philosophy that I had as far as finding houses. So for a long time, I used to just look at houses in um, and kind of sort by lowest price. So I would look at, um, I buy most of my properties off the MLS and I'm a licensed agent. So, um, I would sort by price that I would buy in areas that I felt like I was comfortable working in. Some of them were definitely more challenging, um, as far as, uh, neighborhoods and the percentage of rental versus homeowner properties. Um, but if I felt like the numbers worked, I would do that. 
um, when the market started to transition and things started to get more expensive, including renovations and including buying houses in poor condition, the, in those areas, the prices weren't going up on the sale side for me as a, as selling a renovated right. property. So then I decided, okay, I'm going to get really focused and I'm going to look at areas where should something not work out and we want to get, you know, to have somebody occupy the property, it's not going to be a challenge. And we're going to be able to get the number we need to cover what we've put in. So I looked at really good um, school district suburbs. And so when I started to do that, I started to realize there's this huge opportunity for these properties where it's almost a double, you know, if you buy something for 325, if you renovate it well, and it's got the square footage, it can sell for 650. Wow. And that margin works really well. Um, and in those areas too, there's very little inventory. So it's hard to find properties to even renovate. And if you do, then your, your buyer market is usually ready and waiting for them. We've had people buy our properties who've been waiting and looking in a neighborhood for more than two years. Wow. That's awesome. So that would be where I think in the last probably two years, we've started to really kind of see that type of profit on those types of projects. But you know, just to make sure we, we, we stay balanced. We still have ones where something goes wrong and it's not quite that way. <laughs> yes. And that's yes. okay. Too. Yes. And I don't know if we said it since we started recording, but what market are you in? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. always super important to know. So. Yes. Okay. Um, what can you share with us about what you would say maybe was your worst deal or a challenging situation and what you learned from it? I would say, um, I would say I've been really fortunate as far as the deals go that I haven't had any where it was a significant loss. Um, most of them have actually been, even if it's been small, um, and by small, I mean like $5,000 profit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the most interesting things that I learned about business just in general was when I first started, I worked with someone else in a partnership situation for a few years. And the separation of that partnership and making that decision um, was the most difficult thing I've gone through as far wow. as the business goes. Yeah, I can um, imagine. Yeah, because you don't, when you get started, you don't expect to have that situation come up, especially if you think you've talked it through and you've shared, you know, what your vision is and you feel like you're on the same page. But when it doesn't work out, and you know it's not working out. It it takes some courage to stand up and say, you know what, we need to go our different, our separate ways. And then it makes it a little bit more difficult too when that's not the direction the other person wants to go in. They want to stay with you. Um, so I think that was the biggest lesson for me was just knowing that trusting your gut and knowing that that's the best thing for you and being okay and courageous enough to stand up and say it. Wow, that's tough. Could you elaborate at all? With I mean, if you can't, you can't. But can you share what the what the challenge was that made you decide to part ways from your partnership? Yeah. Uh, so we had gone into this, and we had always been focused on the fix and flip. And um, at some point, the and so at some point, we had started to partner with a lender who had a program, um, and we had buying power as a partnership. Mm -hmm. And what happened is the, uh, my partner decided that they wanted to start investing in rental properties. Mm -hmm. And so when they were taking on more debt, that was actually decreasing our buying power as a company together. 
And I didn't know that that's what was going on. So somebody, oh dear. <laughs> somebody else brought that to my attention, um, which I'm grateful that they did because I was unaware of that. And I didn't, I don't know that that per, I don't know that my partner, I don't know that my partner certainly knew that they were affecting the buying power of our company, but I, I'd have to suspect they might've had some indication. Um, but it just, that one thing um, was a very strong indicator of the motivation of their motivation. And right. if that's something that they felt they needed to do and pursue for their family, I completely understand. Um, it's just that the conversation didn't happen when it should have. And so it put me in a unique position where I had to make a decision. So that's really tough. So what is your um, strategy now? You're still doing fix and flips, I presume. I am. Yes. So what we have done is I probably doubled the volume we were doing when I first got, um, when I first transitioned to this full time. So that was a big opportunity for us to be able to do twice as many properties. We've also taken on bigger projects. So larger projects as far as square footage, more space, um, higher price point. And so I've always tried to be really focused to not only on the areas, but I try to do different price points just so we're never in this situation where we've got three houses at a, you know, 700,000 or higher that we're all on at the same time in a similar um, neighborhoods. So I like to try to do that balance. Um, and then I've also, we've done a little bit with marketing as far as branding ourselves. So we have a sign that we put out in the front yard. We've developed a website in the last couple of years. Um, we do some direct mail marketing, but we're really targeted. So we don't do a ton because the zip codes we like to work in are pretty small. Mm -hmm. um, but we do get some referrals as well from people who see our signs and know what neighborhoods we work in and will call us when they have a house that they know um, they want to sell quickly. So that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So do you have any rentals or do you strictly focus on the flicks? And I have two right now. I have two right now. Um, and I, <laughs> I have done the rental thing where I manage them. I have done it where I found the tenants. And I, it's just not my preference as far as real estate investing goes. I much prefer to have some, a management company do the tenant um, interviews and screenings and find them and do the placing. And I much prefer um, that they just reach out to us when there's maintenance repairs and then we hand those off to our crews because um, our pricing is better for that. But yeah. I don't like to have a lot of involvement with the rental properties. And it's interesting because I was talking to somebody else and they were like, you know, everybody says, you know, you need to have 10, 20 doors so that you can retire. And I'm like, well, but if you've got mortgages on them, that doesn't quite work that way. You know, yep. so there's this, it's this interesting dynamic where people think that they have to have that in order to, um, to make money in real estate. And I understand, you know, there's some value in that, but again, there's other um, areas too, where as far as different cities, having different rental requirements, um, licensing and inspections, some cities just don't make sense here in my area to have rentals in. Yes. And I would say it's the same in California, especially because right. I just passed rent control for our entire state, which oh. is going to make it more challenging for landlords. So yeah, okay. it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is interesting. I mean, Minneapolis is one of the highest um, areas for a, a, an annual rental license. It's over a thousand dollars. 
Wow. Um, and so that is cover, a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And some, you know, one of the suburbs that we have um, a rental property and it's, it's $190 a year for that rental license. So that's a significantly different expense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a different level of, um, it's just, it's a different, it's a different thing for sure. Yeah. Well, that has been all super fascinating and interesting. Um, what would you say your going forward plan is more fix and flips? And what's your kind of like your long term vision? Do you want to kind of graduate to apartments like some people do? Or is fix and flips your love and you want to do that forever? Or do you know? You know, I really love fix and flips. And I have been, um, I have had people tempt me into going to commercial. I have had people um, ask for me to do, I've had people say, you know, like Airbnb. And again, I've talked to a lot of people with Airbnb and it's different. It's, it, you know, some people have great success with it and some people, um, you know, are trying to still find their way. So I'm not necessarily opposed to either of those things. And if opportunities presented themselves, I definitely am open to consideration. Um, what I've been doing the last couple years is um, I've been getting more and more requests for um, being on panels and kind of helping people transition from thinking about investing into real, in real estate into actually doing it, particularly on the fix and flip side. Mm -hmm. um, because it does seem to be kind of a strange thing where you do it for a long time. And I've done it for 12 years now. Most people, like you said, transition into something else. Um, and I've seen a lot of people do that where they start with a couple flips and then they go to new construction and then their business shuts down because it's such a different, it's different and they didn't anticipate the change. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've been helping people kind of get started. And from that, then I decided to actually start with a course that I created for people to learn. It's a self-study course. So it means you don't have to go sit in a conference room for a weekend and try to figure out what, you know, the next thing is that you're going to be investing in. It's something you can do on your own. And it's based off all the principles that I use to this day, because I'm still an active investor. I just closed on a house two weeks ago. Um, another flip where, you know, sometimes when people are educating and coaching, they're not actually active. You right. know that. Oh, yeah, I know <laughs> that. You're in the trenches too. And it is, yeah. it, it is a very, it's a very different perspective. You know, like I said, it's not the, I made $40,000 in 30 days type of program. I mean, it's the one where it's, you know, you're finding the houses, you're adding the value and you're making a difference in a neighborhood. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since you started on that path, tell us a little bit more about that. And mm. well, before that, why don't you tell us about your free um, giveaway that you've offered your fixer upper checklist, and then yes. I'm going to tell us about your course. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they're walking through a house, they might think it's a good deal and they might think it's got potential, but they, if they haven't had experience putting together budgets and construction and knowing what buyers are looking for, they don't know where the opportunity lies. So the spreadsheet or actually the checklist goes through the things that I look for. It's the top eight things that I look for in a house to know if it's got potential. So it talks about things like, can you add curb appeal, kitchens and baths, really basic things, but it gives you an eye for detail that you can hone in on right away and know if something's going to be a good opportunity for a renovation and that a buyer is going to appreciate it on the back end. Awesome. So my listeners, if you are excited as I am to see Amber's fixer upper checklist, make sure you go to hardhatholly.com forward slash 135 because we're episode 135 and you can get her fixer upper checklist. Also, if you will text to the number 38470, 
hard hat with no spaces in between it. It's just hard hat for hard hat holly at um, to the number 38470. You open your phone, send a text to those five digits, 38470, hard hat, and I will send you back the link to this download as well as all of our past downloads. So I'm sure this fixer upper checklist will be very helpful for somebody who's new or somebody who isn't new that just wants to get some more information and another perspective. So Amber, tell us about how people can learn more about you and working with you and about your course. Yeah. So um, our website is thresholdhomesmn, like Minnesota.com. We've got uh, pictures of our projects up there. I um, have a blog that I post to twice a week. Um, I do a post that's specific more to the design side, giving people ideas for flips. Um, about spaces and designing and finishes. And then the other post that I do is specifically towards the business side of flipping. So answering questions about budgets, how do you find houses, um, finding the right realtor, realtor to work with, those types of things. Um, and then the house, the house flip blueprint is, that's the name of the course. And you can uh, type in houseflipblueprint.com to find out when we are going to have our next session open up. If you want awesome. to yeah. I can't wait to see that blog. I always love to see other people's ideas, especially like to compare notes of how things differ from Minnesota to Southern California. So I yeah. can't wait yeah. to see some of your designs. That'll be cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate it. And just want to hear any final parting words of advice you would have to somebody. Yeah, I would say the one thing that everybody can control is getting started. And it doesn't necessarily mean that in getting started, you have to have all the money of it, you know, all the money figured out and you have to have a bank account with more than you need in it. But getting started looks different for everybody, but just taking some type of action. So finding out your where your local real estate investors are meeting and joining in those conversations, starting to look at houses, look at neighborhoods, um, pull up information that's free and doesn't cost anything and start looking at what neighborhoods are selling for what prices. And there's so many free tools right now. You don't need to have a license to start getting into this and educating yourself. You don't need to have experience to start asking questions, but all of those will help guide you on your path when you are ready to take action. I love it. That's great advice. Just get started. Don't um, be paralyzed from the fear. So and get some buddies, go to the real estate clubs and get somebody else so that it doesn't feel so scary and being alone because it is a big risk and lots of money usually. So yeah, great advice. Well, thank you so much. And listeners get out there, take some action and go make it a great day. Thanks, Amber. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.